If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, we're going to look this morning, beginning in verse 13, we're going to finish all of chapter 23 this morning. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Well, Matthew 23, you remember we're in the final week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week of Christ. It's Tuesday of that final week, and this is his final message, final sermon to the nation. And it's a message of condemnation. Last week, uh, he was speaking to the crowds. He was speaking to his disciples. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they would have been there too. They would have heard all that he was saying. But now he turns his ter- attention directly to that Jewish leadership. And it's one of the sternest rebukes in all of God's word. Jesus is going to call them blind guides, sons of hell, fools, serpents, and a brood of vipers. This is not Jesus meek and mild. This is the righteous indignation of God. That God is loving, God is kind, God is merciful, and he is gracious, but he is also truth, and he exposes lies, and he exposes hypocrisy. In fact, the title that you'll see that he gives to them throughout this passage is that of hypocrites. Now, hypocrite initially wasn't a negative term. It was just a term for an actor. They would wear masks, and they would speak out from under those masks, and that's what the word literally means, to speak out from underneath. So initially, it wasn't a negative term. It was just an actor, but later on, it became associated with phonies, with people who uh, uh, pretend or appear to be something that they are not. And it's this sin of hypocrisy that Jesus is addressing in these religious leaders. And it draws out of him a strong rebuke. You know, I'm mindful that if you share the gospel with people on a regular basis, you'll find that often the number one objection to Christianity is the sin of hypocrisy. Well, this morning in God's word, we're going to see Jesus' heart towards hypocrisy. And I'm going to forewarn you, it's going to hit every one of us. And so we're going to feel a little bad this morning. We'll just feel bad together. But I pray that God would do work in our hearts to expose hypocrisy. So with that in mind, let's pray together. Then we're just going to work our way through the text. Father, we come before you this morning and we are asking you to do business in our hearts through the power of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work within us to root out hypocrisy, knowing what it does in our own lives and knowing what it does to our credibility in this gospel message that we proclaim. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our ears to hear and give us hearts to obey. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in this text, we find eight woes. Um, Now, there is some discrepancy over this. Some will just identify seven woes, and a lot of it's dependent on verse 14. Uh, Some of you, in your translations of the Word of God, won't have verse 14. Uh, Others of you, if you have verse 14, it's probably in brackets. And that's because in the earliest manuscripts, uh, verse 14 is not included although we find it in Mark and in Luke, and uh, I don't think 
this morning is the time or place to go into textual criticism. So we're just going to dress it this morning because it's in my Bible. So we're going to dress it as one of the woes. And we'll leave for another day to debate whether or not it's included. So eight woes in this text. And that word woe is an interesting word. It's not like woe horse. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. This, this woe, it, it's an interesting word. It, it, it expresses both, uh, both, both grief and also anger. Both despair and disappointment and what we've already talked about, the righteous indignation of God. And in this word, we really see the heart of Christ as he addresses these religious leaders. Because on one hand, he is deeply angered by their sin. He knows what hypocrisy does in their hearts and and their lives. And he knows what it does to the gospel message that we proclaim. But on the other hand, these are men that he loves. And as we're going to see at the very end, his desire is to wake them and shake them from their own hypocrisy so that they might avoid the impending judgment that's coming their way. And I believe God desires to do the same in our hearts this morning. That if there be any hypocrisy in our life, he would expose it, he would shake us. He's going to use some strong language here. This is tough stuff because that's God's heart towards hypocrisy and the sin that so easily entangles us. And he desires to shake us so that we might correct it and avoid God's judgment. So each of these woes deal with an area of hypocrisy. And we're going to move through them pretty quickly. So buckle in, all right? We're going to move quick. Let's look at the first in verse 13. And let me just give you the hypocrisy here. They claim to hold the kingdom, keys to the kingdom, but in reality they're closing the door to the kingdom. So they claim to to have the keys to the kingdom, but they're closing the door. Look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Remember, these are the guys who claim to have all the answers. They're the experts on how to get to God. They're the experts on how uh, to get to heaven. So they're, they're supposed to have all the answers. They're supposed to help you get to heaven. When in reality, Jesus says, they are shutting the doors in people's faces. Now, how is it that they're shutting the door when they're trying to open the door? Well, they're shutting the door because instead of pointing people to Jesus Christ, instead of being John the Baptist and saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they're handing people and they're pointing people the law of God. And we need to be reminded this morning that there is only one way to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's only one way to God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Anytime somebody comes to us seeking questions about salvation, if we hand them anything other than faith in Jesus Christ, we haven't opened the door, we've closed the door. And so Jesus says, you're hypocrites. You're not door openers. You're door closers. Then secondly, we see in verse 14, they appear to be pious in their prayers, but they're really taking advantage of widows. Look at verse 14, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you'll receive a greater condemnation. So here you see these religious leaders, they're taking advantage of widows. What they were doing is they were instructing them that if you're you're really spiritual, if you really love God, you'll give up everything. You'll sell everything and give it to us. They're manipulating the vulnerable in a time of their need and then turning around and trying to impress people with long prayers. 
This is the TV evangelist who's selling a prayer cloth. Saying, just send me your money for his own personal gain. And he's doing all this under the guise of spirituality. And Jesus says, you're not fooling me. I see what you're doing. You're hypocrites. You're claiming to be spiritual, but in reality, you're carnal. Then thirdly, we see in verse 15, they claim to lead people to heaven, but they're really leading people to hell. Look at verse 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Now we know that the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they struggled in the area of evangelism. They were intended to be evangelistic. They were to be a blessing to all the nations. They were to proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness. But they always struggled. The famous example of this is obviously Jonah. But somewhere along the way, you have the arise of the Pharisees. They, they originated out of the intertestamental period, that 400-year period between Malachi and Matthew. And these guys arose, and they became aggressively evangelistic. They would do all kinds of things just to, just to see one proselyte, one conversion. The problem is, though, Jesus says, Uh, They were converting them not to a salvation on the base of faith, not to the faith of an Abraham who believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. No, they were converting them to a works-based salvation that was completely dependent upon their own ability to keep the law. And Jesus says, you're not leading them to heaven, you're leading them to hell. And here in, in Jesus' response we really see a a clear picture of how Jesus feels about different versions of the gospel. A lot of people out there doing some good work, or so-called good work, but it's a different gospel, whether it be a prosperity gospel, or whether it be a works-based salvation whereby they tell you you can get to heaven, but you need Jesus and good works. You need Jesus and this. And we need to be reminded on the words of Jesus here that they are not presenting an alternative way to God. Either you're leading people to heaven on the basis of faith in Christ or you're leading them to hell. There's no in-between. You know, I, I was thinking about Paul in Galatians. He preaches to them salvation. They come to faith in Christ. A little later, the Judaizers come in to the church at Galatia, and they started saying, that's great that you love Jesus, but you also need the law. You also need to become a Jew. And do you remember what Paul said to the Galatians? If anybody shows up, even an angel, an angel flies into your room, don't get too excited, let him talk first. And if he preaches to you a gospel different than what we preach to you, that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, if they preach a different gospel, let them be accursed They are not on our team. And I fear sometimes we're a little fearful tiptoeing around these people that are preaching a different gospel because we don't want to offend anybody. Well, Jesus wasn't too worried about offending people here. We need to be very clear about the gospel that we proclaim. And Jesus says, you claim to be leading people to God. You're really leading them to hell. Then look at the the fourth thing, verses 16 through 22. They claim to have truth, but they're liars. He says, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, 
Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the temple swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So they had created all these different levels of oaths and vows. Why did they do this? They did it so that they could get out of their commitments. They did it so that they could leave a little wiggle room and nobody could accuse them of lying. Any of you ever made a commitment that later on you said, boy, I wish I hadn't made that commitment? Well, they had just figured out a system to let them out so that their word meant nothing. Always leaving themselves a little wiggle room, always leaving themselves a little leadway so that nobody could accuse them of lying. They would have made great lawyers. <laughs> always looking for a loophole to cover this. If you're a lawyer this morning, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but Jesus, what he's doing is exposing their lying. Not only is he exposing their lying, he's He's exposing really the stupidity of their arguments. You create these different levels. And we, we just swore by the, tem- by the temple, but not really the offering. And so it's not, that, not a real commitment to God. Jesus says, listen, you swear by the temple or by heaven. You're swearing by me. My name's on the line. And I saw what you did. And I saw the commitments that you made. You claim to be men of truth, but you're liars. Psalm 51 says God desires truth in the innermost being. God is a God of truth, and his people are to be a people of truth. And I don't want to get too far down a rabbit trail this morning, but this is critical for us too. Our culture, we exist in a culture that has completely devalued the truth. There is no truth. Everything's subjective. You get caught in a lie, you just lawyer up, and you get technical, and then you wiggle your way out of it. And I think the world is looking around and saying, who in the world can we rely upon to tell us the truth? And we have a tremendous ability to stand out in the midst of this culture and to be truth tellers and to be men and women who are faithful to do that which we said we will do. But listen, if we're not trustworthy and reliable in every other area of our life, how in the world are they ever going to believe us when we tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. They claim to be people of truth, but they're liars. Then fifthly, they they major on the minors. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. It's amazing. They they were tithing their spice cabinet. They had these little spice gardens. And obviously they were to tithe on the produce of what they had. But they had gotten to the point where even the little spice garden they had, they'd they'd pull it out and make sure, well, we want to divide all these little spices out and make sure that we give a tenth to God. And what Jesus is saying, you've missed the point that if in all your little religious activities, if those don't change how you love God and love people, then you've missed the whole point. 
And it's important to note, he's not saying neglect the tithe. He's not saying you shouldn't do that. He's saying that you should do that, but don't neglect the weightier things, justice and mercy and faithfulness. In other words, if all of our little religious activities don't affect how we love people and love God, we've missed the point. It's the person who comes to church and sings the song. They got a nice little face. They love people. How you doing this morning? And then when somebody cuts them off in the parking lot on the way out, they start cursing them. You've missed the point. It's the man who says, boy, every day I read my Bible. I got my passages I read. I check that box. But then they turn around and treat their wife like dirt. Not saying don't neglect the Bible reading, not saying don't neglect the church attendance, but listen, if all that religious activity doesn't change and affect how you treat people and how much you love God, you've missed the point. It's the person who commits all kinds of sin, is mean and hateful towards people, and then shows up to church and thinks that because he checked that box, it's all going to be okay. Listen, if if all of our religious activity and acts of worship don't affect how we treat people, it's all just a show. We become hypocrites. Jesus says you've strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel. The smallest in Leviticus, the smallest animal that could make you unclean was a gnat. The largest animal that could make you unclean was a camel. And so what they would do is they were or pouring out wine, they would strain it through gauze or like a cheesecloth, and they would strain out just in case there was a gnat that got caught up in the wine. They didn't want to accidentally drink that gnat because the gnat would make them unclean. And Jesus says, boy, you've been really good at straining those gnats, and you've been swallowing camels. You missed the forest for the trees. They majored on the miners. Then sixthly, we see in verses 25 and 26, they, externally they were clean, but their hearts were corrupt. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may be clean also. I like to drink coffee. I'll drink coffee from just about any kind of cup or mug just so long as the inside is clean. Because the inside is the most important part. These Pharisees, they look good on the outside, but they've missed the greater issue. They've missed the most important part, which is their heart. And if there's one thing that we have seen in Matthew, it's that Jesus is the king of hearts, that he wants to be the king of your heart, and that he changes us from the inside out through rebirth, and then it, it changes how we uh, act externally. These guys had gotten it confused, thinking that somehow their external activity would change their heart. And sometimes we deal with this, don't we? Externally, we look really good, but inside in the heart, where it matters most, we've got some real issues. It's the person who says, you know what, I love Jesus, and I go to church, and then they deal with the sin of materialism. Really, possessions are the greatest priority of their life. It's the person who looks good on the outside and can put on a good show when he comes to church, but privately, he's 
dabbling in pornography, just hoping his spouse doesn't find out. Or the person who puts on a good face and has all the appearance, but is constantly hiding their addiction. That's the hypocrisy he's addressing here. Look good on the outside, but inwardly they got heart issues. Then seventhly, they have the appearance of life, but they're dead. Look at verses 27 through 28. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So during Passover week, thousands and thousands of people would travel to Jerusalem for Passover, and what they would do in preparation for all these people coming, all these travelers, is they would whitewash the tombs. They would paint them. They, they would clean them up and paint them white. And they did this not only to honor the dead, but they did this because as travelers were coming in, if they couldn't clearly see those tombs, the danger was that they might trip over one of them, and if they touched that tomb, uh, it would make them ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean, and they wouldn't be able to participate in Passover. And so here you have Jesus preaching and probably surrounded by all these whitewashed tombs that are gleaming in the sun. And he looks directly at those Pharisees and he says, you see those whitewashed tombs? That's you. You're nothing but a tomb. You look good on the outside, but inwardly, spiritually, you are dead. You have no spiritual life. Listen, there's a lot of Christians or so-called Christians that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they may have the appearance, the external appearance of a Christian. But inwardly, they've never been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. They've never really trusted in Jesus. They don't have spiritual life because they, they haven't been reborn through faith in Christ. Maybe they're trusting in their religious works. They're trusting in all their spiritual activity, but they've never trusted in Jesus and him alone for salvation. So Jesus says, you're hypocrites. Appearance of life, but spiritually dead. Then, then look, eighthly, they claim to love the prophets when in fact they're about to kill the final prophet, Jesus. Look at verses 29 through 31. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we'd been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you're the sons of those who murdered the prophets. So Herod in an effort to gain favor with the Jews, allowed them to build these monuments to the prophets. And so they're building these monuments and, and adorning them. In the midst of that work, they would say, you know what, if we'd been living back then, we'd have never done that. Well, if we'd been back then, we would have never. In fact, we can't even believe anybody would engage in that kind of activity. What well, is a good reminder for me this week, even as I was thinking about that? There's a lot of sins in the past that people, so-called Christians, committed. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll be just like these guys and say, boy, if we'd been living like that back then, we'd have never engaged in that. <laughs> but by the grace of God, there go I. And Jesus says, listen, you say that you wouldn't have engaged, but I know what's going on in your heart. 
and you're just like your father's. In fact, look at what he says in verse 32. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Probably referring to Peter there. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues. Probably referring to Paul. And persecute them from city to city. So that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. When he talks about the blood of Abel, the righteous blood of Abel, all the way to the blood of Zechariah, the Hebrew Bible begins with Genesis and it ends with 2 Chronicles because that's the history. And the first uh, real man of God to be killed in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew Bible in Genesis is who? It's Abel. And the last prophet, the last man of God to be murdered by the people in Second Chronicles 24 was Zechariah. And he's saying to these religious leaders, you claim that you're of Abel, that you're of Abraham, that you're righteous. And he says, no. You're sons of Cain. You're the sons of those who have murdered the prophets and you will murder the apostles. And ultimately he knows that in their heart they're plotting right then and there to kill the very son of God. As I was reading, I couldn't help but think, you want to know how a person really feels about God? A lot of people say, I love God. Well, if they claim to love God, ask them how they feel about Jesus. Because you can't truly love God and not also love Jesus. Now, these guys, they claim to love God and to be righteous. But they're about to kill Jesus. They're hypocrites. Then look at verses 37 through 38 and 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you'll not see me uh, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I, I really feel like right here, you really get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. He's used some strong language, language the likes of which he uses nowhere else. Stern language. Why does he do this? Because he knows the judgment that's coming. If you have a small child that's about to run out into a busy street, Do you whisper to that child? No, you yell because you're not really concerned about hurting their feelings. You're trying to wake them to the impending judgment that's about to hit them. Jesus knows the impending judgment. And he says, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. Why do chicks run under the wings of the hen? Because those chicks, when they see the shadow of the hawk fly over them, they know we're about to die. And they run to mama for protection. And Jesus is saying to these men, the hawk of judgment is coming. And I am here to provide you with salvation and protection from that judgment. But you continue to reject. And all of us need to hear this today. Because if you continue to reject, Jesus is saying there's a day of judgment coming. 
And so he says to them, your house is about to be left to you desolate. And that's coming for the nation of Israel. And you'll be darkened. You'll not see me again until you see me and you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a quotation, Psalm 110. We've seen that psalm quoted over and over again. Messianic psalm. And he kind of ends with a word of hope because is there going to come a day when Israel will recognize Christ as their true and eternal king? Yeah. When will that occur? We'll show up next week. That's 24 and 25. (laughs) But right here, the sin of hypocrisy. Do you see how Jesus feels about this sin of hypocrisy? Dangerous. It's dangerous because hypocrisy oftentimes, even as Jesus demonstrates here, is accompanied by spiritual blindness. Hypocrites oftentimes, they have no problem identifying the sin in everybody else's life. But when it comes to seeing sin in their own heart, they're blind as a bat. That's what these guys, they they were good at telling everybody else where they fell short, but they didn't see the sin in their own life. And listen, we're susceptible to the same problem. And so what I want you to do, just briefly, we're going to close. Because here's what we often do. I know I do it, so maybe I'm just speaking for myself. You read these passages, you start thinking about everybody else that needs to hear this. And I want you for just a moment, don't you think about somebody else. Don't you think about your spouse. Don't you think about your kid. Don't you think about that coworker you know. For just a moment, I want you to examine your own heart. And having heard of Christ's heart towards this sin, I want to ask you, is there any places where you have hypocrisy? Is there any areas of your life where what you proclaim to believe and what you actually do and how you live don't match up? And if there are some areas like that, I'm challenging you to address it. Get on it quick. Because if you don't get on it, number one, it'll destroy your credibility. If you're a parent and you claim to love Jesus and you show up on Sunday And you look real good. And then on Monday, your children see something completely different. Don't be surprised if they throw out Christianity altogether. I had a deacon in my church in Alabama. I didn't know real well, but had all the appearance of a man who was faithful. And uh, when it came time to do his funeral, I went and met with his wife, and then I had an opportunity to meet with his son, and his son lived in Atlanta, and I asked his son, where do you go to church? Son said, I don't go to church. I asked him, why don't you go to church? Well, what happened? Obviously brought up in a a family that went to church. He said, I saw a a side of my dad nobody else saw. See, he was really good at putting on a smile at church and looking really righteous and religious 
but I saw how he treated my mom. And I saw how he treated me and my siblings. And I decided a long time ago, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. A lack of integrity, hypocrisy will destroy your credibility. Not only will it destroy your credibility, it'll steal your confidence. If you have a hidden sin in your life, it'll drag you down. And it will steal your joy and your peace. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You got these private little sins that nobody else knows about. And you've gotten really good at hiding it. But listen to me this morning God knows. He's got you on videotape. I'm challenging you this morning. Would you confess that sin? Confess it to the Lord. He already knows. (laughs) You're not fooling him. And confession is just to agree with God about how he feels about your sin. It's the confession just to say the same thing. And we've seen how Christ feels about this sin. And I want to remind you, some of you are thinking, boy, I'm not sure I want to confess this before God. Number one, he already knows. But number two, I want you to know this. He's not a God who's up there who's ready to punish you. He is a God who loves you. He is waiting for you to repent, to turn of your sin and turn back to him You want a picture of this, read the story. The prodigal son, he is waiting with open arms not to judge you, but to offer you freedom and forgiveness and peace. You really got two options. You can cling to your sin, your little private sin, your little pet sin that you love so much, but you know in your heart what it's doing to you. It's destroying you from the inside out. It's giving you depression, anxiety, and all these other things. The Bible says the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. You feel that way? Always looking over your shoulder, afraid somebody's going to find out what you've been doing. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. You can cling to it and just wallow in your anxiety with no peace. Or you can confess it and know the forgiveness and the peace, and the joy of Christ. Some of you not only need to confess it to the Lord, you need to confess it to those that are close to you in your life. But it starts with God. David said in Psalm 51, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Some of you um, are here this morning and you're a hypocrite because you claim to know Christ and you don't know him. You claim to be a Christian, but you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never had new birth. You're like a whitewashed tomb. To me, it's the biggest hypocrite of all. I'm challenging you to experience integrity. 
to experience what it really means to be a Christian, and that is to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm challenging you to trust in Christ. And then finally, let me speak to those of you that are in this room this morning, or maybe you're listening online, and you don't know Christ, and you don't claim to be a Christian. And I want to thank you for your, hip, uh, your, your truthfulness tonight. Just your integrity to openly admit who you are. And I want to thank you for being here in church. And you may say, well, one of the things that's turned me off from church are the hypocrites. And I want to say to you, I'm so sorry. And I'm here to tell you, if you live life in the church long enough, you're going to find, you know, what's in the church? Those hypocrites. You know what? There's room for one more. The church has got hypocrites and it's got sinners. And I may, might just be the chief of all of them. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, and I'm praying that somehow in the lives of these Christians that are gathered in this room, I pray, this is my prayer, is that you've got glimpses of Jesus. We won't always live it out perfectly. None of us perfectly practice what we preach. You follow me around for a week, you're probably going to identify some areas of hypocrisy. God's working in my heart. But I pray if you followed me around, you get glimpses of Christ and that my life would point you to Jesus because that's who we want you to look to this morning. Look to Jesus. I got to know a guy this week didn't know Christ and just openly admitted, I don't know Christ, but he was here at church. We challenged him to start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he said, I'm going to do it. He showed up this week for discipleship. He'd been reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know what I told him? I said, you're going to fall in love with Jesus. It's just a matter of time. On Thursday, he prayed to receive Christ. Listen, I'm challenging you this morning. I hope and pray we're pointing you to Christ too because that's who we really want you to see. People will let you down. But listen, you focus on Jesus, I think you're going to really like Jesus. There's no hypocrisy in him. He is the one who loves you. He died for you. And in him and him alone is salvation and freedom. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that it... That we know your word is sharper than two and any two-edged sword. That your word has a means of getting into our life and, and cutting us in areas where we need to be cut. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that maybe they know you, they've trusted in you, but they've, there's some areas of hypocrisy, some hidden sins, some areas in the basement they don't want anybody to see. God, I pray that they would know that you see. And while you are angered by their sin, you love them. And you desire to shake them from their sin this morning. That they might know the peace of walking in fellowship with you. I pray that they would confess their sin. Lord, for those that may be here, that maybe they've been claiming to be a Christian, but they know in their heart they have no spiritual life because they've never trusted in you. They've been trusting their religious works. I pray that they would trust in you this morning. And I pray for that person that might be here today. 
They don't claim to know Christ, but you've been working in their heart. I pray this morning that they would see Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they would see the beauty of their Savior who died for them and for their sins. Your word says it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. I pray that they'd be so overwhelmed by the depth of your love that any fear of letting go of any sin in their life or any past in their life, God, that it would fade away in the greater light of Christ and they would know your salvation today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way God might be leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We'll have pastors here at the front love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Maybe you just want to pray. Folks, this is a hospital. We're all just sinners in need of the great physician, Jesus Christ. If you maybe just need to pray where you're at or pray here at the altar or have a pastor pray with you, we'll be here. You respond as the Lord leads. Know this, you'll never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing.